Let's grab your Bibles and um, open them with me to Peter's first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2, and um, follow as I begin reading in verse 4, I'll, um, I'll read through verse 10. Hear now, that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired, it's the very mind of God as black words found on a white page. You follow as, as I read from that. <clears throat> Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. To those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, that word endures forever. Guys, about a month ago, we, um, <clears throat> we introduced to you what we hope will be an ongoing series of videos, which we entitled Grace Works. We, we don't intend to do them every month, but we certainly hope to do them periodically. I tried to explain a month ago why we chose that title, Grace Works. I gave you a couple of reasons. One of them is, around here, we, only, we, we believe only Grace Works. But, but the real, more profound reason is because these videos give us a, um, a chance to focus on the great works of grace in, in our lives. Guys, we all have grace stories to tell, all of us. And we'd love to tell yours. Uh, if you ever get to the place where you feel like you can share it, we would love to put you in one of these videos as well, because we all, all of us <clears throat> have grace stories to tell. Now, Many of these videos will be stories about how God has drawn people to Jesus Christ in saving faith for the first time, but not all of them. Um, there are other stories to tell of God's great kindness to us. Um, 
Normally, <clears throat> normally we show these videos before I read my text. As you may have noticed, I have already read my text. And we are going to show this video having read the text. And I did that on purpose. I did it for this reason. Because what you're about to see, um, in a lot of ways, summarizes at least part of the message that has been in this series on the church. It's not the entire message. But it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of that message that I have been trying to communicate in this, this, four ser- this four sermon series on the church. Specifically, this part of the message. That if we neglect our souls, life can get a whole lot more complicated than it already is. The church is to be that means of grace by which we are aided in the maintenance of our souls. It's to be that place where we come to maintain our souls so that we won't neglect our souls. So, my brother and sister in Christ, watch this. Watch this knowing that each of us or all of us could probably tell a similar story. Ladies and gentlemen, when the church is healthy, when she is biblically sound, there's no place like, there's no place on earth like her. When she is healthy and biblically sound, she is a dispenser of grace like no place else on the earth. That's just who she is. You know, gang, when you, <clears throat> when you understand the gospel, um, there, there, are certain, there are certain ramifications of understanding the gospel, one of which is this. You would never leap to judgment on, of somebody else's sin because you know your own. You know your own, and you're, you're, you're pretty much <laughs> consumed with your own failings to be harsh on somebody else's. The church is supposed to be a refuge. She's a place, she's a safe haven into which we can sail out of, out of the storms of life. And, and that emphasis that I, that I just spoke is one that you find frequently in the New Testament. Um, and one of the ways that you find that emphasis is through references to the church. Um, the, the New Testament is filled. There's, there's numerous references to the church found in the New Testament. Only in one of those are we, found, are we told to attend Hebrews 10. The rest of those references about the church in the New Testament, they're all, they're all the same thing in, in this sense. They're all, they're all designed to give you some kind of idea 
as to what the church is, what she's supposed to be, how she's supposed to function. What you get in these numerous references in the New Testament of the church is this, is this montage, this collage of, 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 of images, of metaphors of, of what the church is supposed to be, how she's supposed to function from, from God's perspective. What did he design her to be? What did he design the church to be? Who is she? Who is the church? What I want to do this morning is I want to show you numerous references that are found in the New Testament. I mean, I I could have made this series a whole lot longer, and I, I I think I would have lost you. Maybe I already have. But there's all these references in the New Testament that I didn't want you to miss. I didn't want you to miss at least seeing So what I'm going to do this morning is that I'm going to race through about four passages with very brief commentary, and then I'm going to come to our text, which is 1 Peter 2, and we'll spend the bulk of our time there. But I wanted you to see these other other references to the church as we we try to build a a, um, a picture in in our mind's eye as to what who, who is this? Who is the church? So let me show you a, a few of those, these passages. Um, and my, my intent is to just show you who she is in the hopes that maybe for the first time that you'll begin to value her in a way that you never have before. Now, <clears throat> um, I'm going to run through, I'm going to at least run through four of them pretty fast. You, you don't need to turn with me. You can if you like. But you can take down these references. My first one is found in Ephesians chapter 1. But I'm going to read you two verses, and then I'm going to state quickly, and then I'm moving to the next one. This is Ephesians 1, uh, verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Guys, just that statement ought to fill us with wonder. That is, Jesus Christ enjoys his position as head over everything for the sake of the church. If he prizes her so, then certainly I should. My next one is found in Colossians chapter 1. Or, or let, me, let me remind you this. Last week, I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12, where the church is likened unto a body. You remember that? All the various parts of the body. You know, you got a pancreas and a liver and a pituitary gland, all that business. And um, the, the, the idea is that there's so much diversity in the church, but all that diversity uh, leads to unity when she is functioning properly. Uh, And then we talked about interdependence. That's what we talked about last week. Well, 1 Corinthians 12 is not the only place in the New Testament where the church is called the body. She's also called the body in um, Colossians chapter 1. Actually, a couple of times in Colossians 1. Let me read you. This is verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. 
But that's not really the one I wanted you to see in Colossians 1. Really the one in Colossians 1 I wanted you to see is verse 24, where Paul says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Gang, did you hear what Paul just said there? He said this, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes so that she might prosper, I'm willing to do. If it's suffering, I'll suffer. That's what I'll do. Whatever it takes. Because in the mind of the Apostle Paul, the church was so valuable. If I have to suffer for her, I have to suffer for her. How about this one? This is in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, Let me read you just two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, which say this. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. That's what the church is. She's the pillar and the ground of the truth. She's not the author of the truth. She's not the creator of the truth, but she is the dispenser of the truth. She is the pillar and the ground of the truth. She's the vehicle through which God reveals himself. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the Kiwanis Club just doesn't do that. And the last time I checked, the Republican Party is not holding Bible studies. But the church is. Because the church is that place, is that vehicle through which the truth of God flows to his people. She's the pillar and the ground of the truth. But I guess one of my favorites is back in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. One I think that you've heard of before because we talk about this a lot. It starts in verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But read on that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Guys, do you know what I've just read? I've just told you that the Apostle Paul says here in this Ephesians 5 passage that the church is being portrayed, she's being pictured in this metaphor. She is the bride, the bride of Christ. Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Christ has wed unto himself the church. He and the church are inseparable. He and the church are husband and wife. Now tell me this, ladies and gentlemen. Have you ever met a man, have you ever met a man who had made friends with people who didn't like his wife? I mean, do you, gentlemen? Do you have good, close friends who don't like your bride? Then you're an idiot. (laughs) Get rid of them. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the point. Jesus Christ has no friends who don't love his bride. And by the way, you and I, we, 
we are the children of that union between Christ and his bride. Now tell me, what son looks on his earthly mother and, and, and hates her? So the point being, those who claim to love Christ, but not his bride, <laughs> it's unthinkable. Guys, th- those are just a few of the numerous New Testament metaphors that are all designed to do this. They are, to sh- they are, des- they are designed to show you the beauty of, the importance of, and the purpose of the church. She's the bride. She's the pillar of the, she's the body. She's the, uh, the, 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 the ground of truth. The, the, the pillar of the truth. All of these things are designed to let you know what the church is. Now, that brings us, of course, to our text for this morning. Which I would suggest to you is probably the most expressive of all of them. By expressive, I mean this. There is more said in this brief span of 12 verses than I, than I know of any place in the New Testament. There, there, are, there is in our text two rather intense blasts of information concerning the church. Verses 4 and 5 and verses 9 and 10. So that's what I want you to look at now. Look at our text, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. Let's look, at, let's look at that first. He says this. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, guys, let's spend a minute or two on this. First of all, I want you to notice that I am a living stone because I am in union with the living stone. Did you see that? Uh, verse four, coming to him as a living stone. Verse five, you also as living stones. I am a living stone because I'm in union with the living stone. Okay, here's another thing I want you to notice. Peter is using Old Testament language. All of this language that he's using here and later on in the, in the text has a real Old Testament flavor to it. He is taking Old Testament images and applying them to the church. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the church is the New Testament Israel. She's no afterthought. She's no so no parenthesis. She's at the very center of God's redemptive purposes. Now, With that in mind, tell me, in the Old Testament, where was God um, present? Oh, well, he was present in the temple. Well, where is he present today? In this spiritual house comprised of a collection of living stones that are living stones Because they're in union with Christ. He is to be found in this place that he is now building, putting living stones 
together, one after the other one. What do we call that place? We call that place the church. Gangs, as living stones being built up to a spiritual house, that's what verse five says. Do do you see, do you get in your mind's eye this picture? By the way, Paul uses this same language in Ephesians 2 when he talks about a house and the bricks being fitted together. Do you you see it, guys? Imagine in your mind's eye that the church is being likened unto a large brick wall. Can you see that? Large brick wall. Now, Now, what do we know about a brick wall? Well, there's this interlocking nature of the brick wall. I talked last week about the interdependence that we have. Um, in, this, in this brick wall image, I have a brick that's over me, I have a brick that's under me, and I have a brick on both sides of me. If you pull out one of those bricks, the whole wall is destabilized. But if you pull out several of the bricks, huh, the whole wall collapses. Because do you see, ladies and gentlemen, there's this, there's this interdependence theme again. There's this interlocking nature of, of, of individual living stones. There's this, this whole idea of mutual support. Gang, brick wall, living stones, think about it. Somebody is under me who supports me. But then there's another living stone above me that I support. That's the image here, ladies and gentlemen. Individual stones, living stones, being built up into this single unit. The implication, guys, is that you and I cannot we be what we were designed to be apart from the other living stones. We are in this together. You need me. And I need you. Now, look at the other two verses, this other blast that's in this passage. Verses uh, 9 and 10. Um, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, Peter's not done with verses 4 and 5. He returns to the theme in verses 9 and 10, and he is still using the same Old Testament language. He's still using those, those, those ideas that he brought out of the New Testament, into the, out of the Old Testament, into the New Testament. Now, I want you to notice this. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation. One of the beauties of the Greek language, ladies and gentlemen, is that in the English language, if I use the word you, you don't know that I'm talking about you singular or you plural. But in the Greek language, oh, you do. Because the endings are different on the words. Here's the point. That you, right there in verse 9, hey, 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 it ain't single. It's plural. But you, not you, you, you. And then he uses four titles of distinguished honor. 
You want to know who you are? You want to know who the church is? She's a chosen generation. She's a royal priesthood. She's a holy nation. She's his own special people. Corporately. This place called the church is God's new temple, which is the very language that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 6 when he says you are the temple of the living God. Now, guys, if you can, real quickly with me, I know this is, this is, this is challenging, and, I, and I'm not, I don't mean to say that lightly, but try to remember what I've said for the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes. What all have we said about the church? Well, we've said that Jesus is the head. We've said that the body uh, is his body. We've said that Paul is willing to suffer for her. We've said that she is the pillar and the ground of the truth. Uh, We've said that she's the bride uh, of Christ. And then we come to this passage here and we see that she is living stones being built up into this one unified temple thing. And then we come over here to verses 9 and 10 and we find she's a chosen generation, a, a holy priesthood, a royal nation, his own special people. Now, add all that up. Because that's who we are. That's who the church is. And somehow, incredibly, she has fallen on bad times. She has come to be despised. And and I believe, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that the real reason that she's come to be despised is because she has walls. That is, she defines the truth. She, she outlines definitions of life. And people don't want anybody doing that but themselves. I don't want anybody telling me how to, how to understand abortion or homosexuality. Uh-uh-uh, I'll do that myself. So they throw this means of grace, the church, under the bus. Gang, in light of all these metaphors that, I, that, you've, that I've showed you this morning, Um, do you honestly think that throwing her under the bus is the response that God intended? (laughs) I don't. Here's the response I think that's more like it. More of the one that he was after. All of these metaphors, all of these indicatives, all of these definitions of who we are, as the church. All of those things are to drive us to the holy imperative of worship. Corporate worship. Where God's people gather and they are stimulated to love and good deeds as the church worships their common God. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if you know anything of this great work of redemption that God has wrought to save people as wicked as we are, then worship becomes inevitable. And if that somehow sounds undesirable to you, then then heaven is not going to be a place you're going to enjoy if indeed that's where you think you're going to spend eternity. Now, I have one final closing thought. It's kind of a bizarre one, but um, stay with me. It's out of the book of Acts. You might want to turn to the book of Acts. The book of Acts has 28 chapters. I'm in the last chapter, chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, the last two verses of the book of Acts. Do you know what the book of Acts is? The book of Acts is kind of a unique book in that it is a history book. It is a church history book. The book of Acts records for us the history of God going to these incredible extremes to bring into being the church. Uh, All of the things that he does, you you know, it starts off in chapter 1 with the ascension of Christ, and then you come to chapter 2, and there's this thing called Pentecost where the Holy Spirit of God is poured out, and then you get story after story after story of how God planted his church and nourished his church and spread his church and provided for his church and, and, and built his church. This, this epic story of the church contained for us in the book of Acts that begins with the ascension and then ends with, well, it ends with Nothing. Have you ever read the last two verses of the book of Acts and wonder, well, that was kind of odd, odd way to close this book. Look, uh, this is what it says. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concerned the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we are all cordially invited to twist in the wind. The story just stops abruptly like a book that ran out of pages or a DVD that cuts out before the final scene. We're told here that that God welcomes all these, I mean, that Paul welcomes all these people and he teaches them about the kingdom and he's telling them all this stuff about Jesus Christ. And just like, just right before it looks like it's really about to be, you know, get good, Luke stops. Luke, hey, buddy, what else? I've often read that passage and wonder, what an abrupt ending. Why? Why isn't there something after that? And here's the conclusion to which I've come. There doesn't need to be anything else, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because the church has been planted. Because Jesus Christ promised to build his church and committed this grand work of building her to God the Holy Spirit. So, everything you need, my brother and sister in Christ, is right here.
You know, guys, next to his word, perhaps the main way that Jesus saves his people and nourishes his people and builds his people and protects his people and cherishes his people and speaks to, the, to his people, you know, the ones for whom he has died, the main way that he does that is through his bride, the church. There's a couple that um, goes to Gracie Van. They learned that lesson. They learned it a hard way. They learned it through the loss of their infant son. About a month ago, the mother of that infant son wrote me a letter. I have her permission to read it. Life together, beautiful. Dear Dr. Young, while I love donuts and coffee and small talk, the beauty of life together comes by truly living life with one another. This fresh movement at our church is very exciting to me as I believe it begins to touch on what being a part of the covenant community really is. I have been a part of Grace of Van for almost 16 years. I have always had relationships, friends, Sunday school, Grace groups at Grace. They were nice. They were easy. I did not know the impact these relationships would have on me and my family until we experienced it. Pain. From those first moments at the hospital, you showed up, Gracie Van. When you did not know what to do, you showed up. When I could not physically stand, you held me up. You came to our home. You sent flowers. You wrote notes and sent cards. You texted. You called. You prayed over me and my family. You watched my children. You cleaned my house. You cleaned up our yard and construction that was going on. You planned the funeral. You gave gifts. You sent music. You made food for months. You sang Jesus, lover of my soul during worship on the one-year anniversary. You showed us Christ. Christ is enough and God is good. When you did not know what to do, you showed up and lived life together. I daily think on those days. Many times when I am walking the halls at Grace, I wonder who responded. Who made that delicious zucchini bread that was the only thing I could stomach for those first few days? Who left the flowers on the doorstep that evening? 
Who made that beautiful CD that still plays in my car? The beauty is, I don't know. But I know that it was the body of Christ responding. You, Gracie Van, are showing up. Thank you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is who she is. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind your people of the great importance that you have placed on this thing called the church. And might Gracie Van forevermore be growing into what you intended her to be in the first place. Might we be a place where we can sail into, out of the storms of life. Might it be here that the truth is heralded. Might it be here where the sorrowing are comforted and the fearful are are loved and the sinful are, are reminded that Jesus Christ died for sinners of whom we are chief. Father, might this church be the place also where the gospel of Jesus Christ is, a, is broadcast and might many be brought to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as a result of our ongoing ministry. Thank you, O oh God, for the church. And if we ever detour off of the path that you intend us to, to be on, would you correct us, spare no rod, in bringing us to the place where the church of Jesus Christ is being the church of Jesus Christ. Aid us in that, Father. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.